0: morning, morning, morning. How are you all doing? Uh, well, if you missed it, my name's Rich. <laughs> uh, I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to um, have you all here. Um... We've been looking um, over the last uh, few weeks or so, the last couple of months, we've been looking at a series um, in the book of Luke, and we've been tackling um, the parables that Jesus told week in, week out, um, and we've delved into all sorts of parables, um, and we're up to Luke 16 this week, if you've got a Bible with you, Um, but essentially um, a parable um, is, if you like, a story that Jesus told that had a specific um, intended meaning um, to the audience, So, they're a way of communicating. It's a way that Jesus um, used to teach. Um, some of his uh, disciples, followers. Um, And often what you find is parables can be um, a little bit confusing. They can kind of cause you to scratch your head a little bit, um, even if the story itself might be uh, quite upfront and quite easy to follow in terms of the circumstances. Um, And uh, we're looking at one of those uh, parables today um, in Luke 16. Um, it's, It's um, a tricky passage um, for several uh, well several reasons as we 'll explore on the way through, um, and I can remember the first time I read this passage, which was one or two years ago um, and, and, and I read it, and I thought to myself i haven 't got a clue what any of that means, so i 'm just going to move on <laughs> i don 't know if you 've ever done that um, if you 're reading the Bible and you just read something, and you think, Huh. I wonder how that got there. Like, what does that mean? What is And you just kind of think to yourself, I haven't really got time to go into that. I'm not going to move on. Um, But uh, you just kind of politely sidestep. Um, Unfortunately, um, we aren't afforded quite the same uh, level of uh, laziness, if I'm honest. Um, That actually we've got to look at some of these passages because we've got to dig into God's word and actually pull out um, the truth that's contained within it. Um, And so very often... As you read a passage like this, you can almost uh, come away with more questions than answers. Um, but if a parable is essentially Jesus telling a story with a particular message or a purpose, um, then I want us to try and think to ourselves, okay, what's the, what's the message that Jesus is teaching? Right? There may be one or two questions that get thrown up as I'm reading this, um, and some of you that are quite... Um, in your minds, uh, I'll say, will often spin out into all sorts of places. But try and stay with us in the passage um, and try and ask the question, what is the point that Jesus is making? What is it that Jesus is trying to dig out um, as we read through our passage? Um, I will just say um, there is a word that comes up quite repeatedly throughout the passage. It's the word shrewd. Um, Shrewd is, if you like, um, having or um, essentially possessing great insight or um, astute. Kind of skill. Um, It's essentially used in lots of different um, scenarios. In this case, it's talking about being shrewd with money. Um, So, essentially, being wise, being savvy um, with how you use your money. Um, And so, that word comes up quite often for those of you that um, aren't aware. So, just kind of as we read through, have that in your mind um, as we. go through. So let's read our passage today then in Luke 16. So we're going to jump in at verse 1 and we're going to go through to verse um, 14. In your Bibles they probably, um, 14 starts another paragraph but we'll, we'll have a look at that in a second. Um, so we'll jump in at Luke um, 16. Actually I'll tell you what, before we jump in and read I'm going to pray. That's a better idea isn't it? Uh, I'm going to pray for wisdom as we tackle this passage. Lord Lord, we do come to you, um, Lord, with all reverence and humility. Um, and just, Lord, we ask that you would... Um illuminate um, these words to us. Lord, we pray that uh, as we read your word, Lord, that it would uh, be living and active in our hearts and minds. Lord, we pray that, um, Lord, you would really help us as we deal with some of these tricky um, parts of the passage. Lord, as we uh, delve into some of those mysteries, Lord, we just pray, God, that you would give us real um, insight and wisdom um, and that you would teach all that you have for us this morning. Lord, we pray give us ears to hear. Um, Lord, I pray that uh, what are just my words, Lord, I pray would be um, got rid of. But Lord, I pray what's of you. Um, Lord, what's what's, what's from your heart? Lord, I pray that we would really take that on board. Lord, that we would sit under your word, Lord, and we would humble ourselves um, under your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, So Luke 16. He also said to his disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses." So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you which, uh, that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now verse 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridic- ridiculed him. It's really important that we understand the context to what to, to that Jesus is speaking into, um, so right at the beginning, um, in verse one. Um, I can see some of you are already starting to scratch your heads um, about some aspects of the passage, but that's fine. Um, we can see in verse 1 that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He also said to his disciples, da, 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 right? um, leading on from um, our parable last week, the lost son, um, Jesus is then continuing to teach his disciples. So we can see he's, he's speaking to his disciples who have gathered around him. Um, but then from verse 14, we also spot um, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. So Jesus is there; he's uh, speaking to his disciples, but there are Pharisees around. So you know what it's like if you're having a conversation and you know somebody's in earshot and they can hear what you're saying. It's kind of that sort of deal. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples, but he's very aware that there's a wider crowd um, that are listening in. Um, it's quite important when we uh, when. We understand that because obviously it says at the end that the the Pharisees were lovers of money. Um, So some of the things that Jesus says will be dealing with some of the Pharisees in terms of their own love for money um, and dealing with that. Um, Other things that he says will be specifically to his disciples. Um, But essentially the point being um, that actually what Jesus is teaching is for all of them. Now, the Pharisees were lovers of money. Some of them would have been um, quite wealthy. Some of them would have had considerable means. Um, And so what Jesus is saying applies to them. But he's also speaking to his disciples. Some of them would have been wealthy. Some of them would have had considerable means. But some of them gave up everything to follow Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, come and follow me and give up everything to follow me. And so these guys, even if they had connections, even if they had resources, even if they had all those things, there's an attitude at which they'd given all of those things up to come and follow Jesus. They'd given all of that up. So if you like, he's talking to the disciples who who would have had very little. He's talking to the Pharisees who would have had very much. So if you fall into one of those two camps this morning, then this parable's for you. Which is great news, right? Because that pretty much means everybody in the room. And so We're going to look at our passage today, um, and we're going to dig into three parts of it. Uh, We're not not going to spend loads of time going through verse by verse, verse by verse, but we're going to look at three aspects. We're going to look at what was the manager commended for, um, first of all, and then we're going to look at what it means to secure a place um, for yourself, Um, and then third of all, we're going to look at um, what does stewardship look like? How do we steward um, what God has entrusted us with? Um, and so, first of all, what was the manager commended for? Well. It's difficult, isn't it, in a passage like this, because we live in a very um, we live in a very binary world. Things are either right or wrong. You're either on this side or that side. Um, We try and polarize opinion very quickly, um, and um, we can kind of there's not much middle ground. And we can be left at the end of this passage thinking, well, he's commended for something, so was he good? But he was dishonest with the way that he did it, so is that bad? And we can be thinking to ourselves, okay, well, where does where do we sit with this? well, he's obviously not commended for being dishonest. It says, doesn't it, um, in verse? Uh, so da 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 da. Um, take, uh, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for his savviness, for his for the way that he dealt with the situation that was handed to him. Um, he dealt with it. Um, very wisely. He dealt with um, what had been given to him, albeit dishonest. The way that he had... uh, The thing that he had done was dishonest. The thing that he had done, he'd essentially stolen from his master and lowered the debts. Um, And so essentially... um, What he's actually done is dishonest, but the way he's responded in the moment, the master actually comes and commends him for his shrewdness. Now, that can be a little bit tricky um, when we think about it, but very often there are circumstances in our own lives um, where perhaps we might do something wrong. So, for instance, say that um, if, I don't know, we say a careless word um, or we gossip about our boss at work or something like that, These things definitely aren't commendable. It's not as if we would praise things like that. But actually, the way that we can respond to some of those situations, so actually, even if it is just if you're careless with a word to your children or something like that, or you speak harshly or out of turn, just coming to them and saying, look, I'm sorry, Daddy was stressed out. Daddy shouldn't have reacted like that. I shouldn't have said that, and I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? the way that we then deal with some of those things um, actually can be commendable. So the sin or the, the issue itself isn't necessarily commendable. We would never say that. But the way that we then process or work that through, actually, can be a commendable process. Um, that actually, if we come, we humble ourselves um, and come and ask for forgiveness. You see, Jesus knows that surrounding them are the Pharisees. And these Pharisees were, they were lovers of money. And it says that, which means they were, they were shrewd with their money. They um, understood uh, the power of money in that world. They understood um, what, what it meant uh, to have or to have not. Um, and what Jesus says to the Pharisees um, is quite striking. Um, he says uh, to the Pharisees, uh, Oh, where is it? You're right, the light isn't good here, Steph. Uh, sorry, that's been a running joke. I apologize. Um, but uh, he, said, um, he, says, uh, he says to then his disciples, obviously with the, um, with the Pharisees surrounding him, he says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And essentially what he's saying um, is essentially he knows that the Pharisees are listening and he's essentially saying, you Pharisees that love money, that are shrewd with your money, um, he says, actually, you look more like the sons of the world than the sons of the light. He says, actually, you look more like unbelievers in the way that you deal with money than necessarily believers. See, Jesus is basically saying to them, you're so exacting with your finances that you miss the point. He's kind of, you're so precise with, with money, with making sure that you know, things are um, secure and stored up and things like that, but you miss the point of money. You miss the point of actually using money um, in a way that is biblical and in a way that honors God. He essentially says you're trying to secure for yourself um, something that won't last. Um, in the parable, we notice that the manager uh, is essentially concerned when he hears that he's going to lose his job, his concern is, well, let me deal with the debtors so that they would welcome me, so that uh, people may receive me into their houses. That's his concern. He's try- his, his, his wisdom in the moment is to try and secure for himself a place so that when he's fired, so that when he loses his job, um, he's received um, into some of these uh, debtors' houses, and and presumably has another job, etc., etc. See, the manager's concern is with a physical place. But Jesus, in verse nine, kind of turns it on his head. He says, "And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings." What does that mean? <laughs> It's true, right? It's a hard passage. Um, <laughs> but um, essentially what Jesus is saying is, don't use your money to try and store up an earthly dwelling. Use your money to store up eternal dwellings. Right? Don't try and think about, well, money, just let's just try and stick it in savings accounts so it'll keep us in a rainy day. Right? Don't, so that we can keep a roof over our head. Jesus is saying, actually, invest your money in people, in relationships, so that then you can be received into eternal dwellings. It's interesting that Jesus says when and not if it fails, he says when it fails. Says when it fails, not if it fails. You see, money, money is money is money is currency. Money is um, a vehicle. Money is something that we can use. It's something um, that society uh, is kind of built upon, um, and it, the transaction of goods and services um, carry value and um, currency, and that's that's a part of. Um, this world, that's a part of um, the way we interact with one another. Um, but if you like, there's a heavenly currency. If you like, God has an economy that is outside of just pounds, dollars, yen, whatever, right? Um, God has an economy that is outside of that. Uh, elsewhere, we read that God has heavenly riches at his disposal. You see, we've got to understand, this is a mindset shift, Right, We have to almost dig ourselves out of um, where we currently are um, and think about actually a bigger picture here. Because Jesus says when, because he knows that earthly economies, earthly money will fail. If you put your hope and your confidence in earthly wealth of finances, it's ultimately going to let you down and ultimately fail. So Jesus says when, not if. In 1 Peter um, 3, verse 5, uh, I'll just jump there. It won't come up on the screen behind me. Um, It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to the great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guided through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. There is an inheritance, there is heavenly riches, there is heavenly wealth, there are heavenly benefits waiting for us in heaven. That's biblical. I know we don't like to talk about the concept of rewards and what that means, but, but Peter's writing and says there is an inheritance stored up in heaven for you. And so the responsibility on us then is how do we live in light of that heavenly riches, that heavenly wealth. And a big part of it is what Jesus is saying here. Store up for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, money, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. It's interesting here, Jesus almost goes a little bit further. He just pushes it a little bit further. He says so that when it fails they may receive you into these... Well, who? Those friends that you've won. What? Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they, those friends, may receive you into eternal dwellings. There's a principle here. The way that we steward our finances, our resources, our time, our energy, the way that we steward those things are a witness and a testimony to friends, to people around us, to those that we interact with. It's, it's an example um, of who we are and what God has done in us. And actually, and this might be a little bit provocative, but the way we steward what God has blessed us with actually can be a source of salvation for some. And they will receive us into eternal dwellings. Wow. So when I sit down and do little details and budgets and things like that, the way that I'm doing that might be done behind closed doors and in secret or whatever, but actually, that can have an eternal significance on the impact of somebody's life. That's powerful. You see, the manager, he reduces the debts, albeit debts to somebody else, the master, but he reduces the debts, doesn't he? He lowers them considerably, and I've always thought of myself when I've read this parable, I've always tried to read myself in as the manager, thinking, well, what would I do in that situation? Um, I probably wouldn't have been that shrewd, I'll be honest, um, <laughs> and I probably, would, I probably wouldn't have, well, I probably would have been dishonest, I'm not going to lie, um, we all know this a little bit inside of us, but I would have tried not to have been dishonest um, as much as possible, but... Probably within that, there's elements of fear that rise up. But suppose for a minute that we aren't necessarily the manager. Maybe it's because I live in this part of the world um, and I have an income that I consider myself to be the manager. But maybe I'm not the manager. Maybe I'm the debtor. Maybe I'm one of the ones that owes the rich man something. And actually, perhaps Jesus is the mediator. Jesus is the manager, not dishonest. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Um, but actually, Jesus comes and lowers the debt. So I'm a debtor. And actually, the Bible calls that debt sin. That actually, the wrongdoing, our rebellion against God, our wanting to store up and secure ourselves, get a roof for ourselves, and just kind of shield ourselves from um, difficulty, troubles, um, all of that self-preservation, that selfishness, that sin. The Bible calls that sin. And it says that sin stacks up like a debt against us. All of these things that we just can't pay. All of these things that we, just, that we owe but just can't deliver on. And suppose the manager just lowers the debts. But here's the good news. Jesus comes and he eradicates the debts. He just deals with it. It's done. He p- pays the price on our behalf. He pays the price that we owed. It says in Colossians 2 if I can flick there, there we go. Um, and you who were dead in the trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So it's almost as if that debt that stood up against us that we had no way of getting out of, Paul writing in Colossians basically says, it's like you were dead. You just had no hope. You had nothing in the bank. He says, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Trespasses just means sin, our wrongdoing. He's forgiven us all of that by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, by cancelling the record of debt, so all of those, that sin that's stacked up against us that we could never pay, by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he sets aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Hallelujah. See, on the cross, Jesus paid the price. He settled that debt. He paid the price with his blood. He gave his life so that we could walk free. And so then... We come to the last few verses. I'm just going to read from verse 10 um, through to 13 again. Uh, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Okay, so we've looked at what the manager was commended for. Um, We've looked at uh, what it means to secure um, an eternal place, not an earthly place, Um, for ourselves Um, and then third of all how do we steward what we've been entrusted with in this parable stewardship um, essentially looks like generosity Um, the manager cancels debts um, he lets people um, off debts um. but verses 10 to 13 Jesus seemed to home in a little bit more He seems to focus in a little bit more, um, essentially saying um, it's not necessarily about how much you have, it's about the attitude with which you do it. So he's not so concerned about the amount, how much has been cancelled, Jesus has paid it all, Um, but he's not so concerned from the parable with the amounts by which the manager reduced things, um, but he is concerned um, with the attitude with which we do it. It's almost as if Jesus could probably see some of these people were confused, scratching their heads going, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do with this. And he kind of almost adds these few verses to teach, to make the point. This is what I'm telling you. It's the attitude that you have. It's how you respond um, to the situation um, and the circumstances so that they, the Pharisees, and probably the disciples, don't lose the point on the way through. If you're faithful with a little... You'll be faithful with much if you're dishonest with little, you'll be dishonest with much. Right? There is a principle in the Bible of sowing and reaping that as you sow, what you sow, you will reap. And we see that right the way through throughout scripture. In fact, we even see that specifically about money in 2 Corinthians 9 which says if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly, and if you sow abundantly, you will reap abundantly. There's a principle there. Um, And I think very often, particularly when we start talking um, about money, uh, particularly as a church, I think we are often very good um, at uh, helping each other, one another, people around us um, that perhaps don't have a lot of money. Um, Thinking about our CAP Centre, Christians Against Poverty, Debt Counselling, which is an incredible resource. Incredible resource looking to... um, see people set free from the burden of debt um, and bring the gospel into those situations. And I would just say, if that's you this morning and you don't have a lot of means and you're thinking, actually, I'm just, I can't see beyond today. I'm so bogged down I'm this problem that my finances are eclipsing my perspective on life. If that's you, um, then I would encourage you to seek help. Find somebody that can help. Um, Ruth, who is here somewhere. I don't know, but is our wonderful cat manager, um, and she, she, I know she'd love to chat with you. But um, phone cap, get, get on to that, get on to that now, because you kind of go, because we've got to, you've got to deal with it. Um, but we're not always very good at dealing with people that do have wealth, that do have money, that do have considerable means. We aren't always very good at talking about it because it doesn't always make us feel comfortable. And so what we tend to do is just kind of sidestep the issue and assume that if somebody has resources, has wealth, has money, then they're fine because they're obviously doing something right, right? But I think actually that's exactly the position the Pharisees were in. They had means. They were lovers of money. They were good with money. But there was something wrong in their heart. They were lovers of money, not lovers of God. And so I just want to kind of help kind of just very practically talk about what stewardship looks like in, um, if you like, three different um, kind of categories, if you like, just very quickly. Um, But first of all, when it comes to money, um, we've got to put God first. You have to put God first. And then actually, as you put God first, he enables and gives you the grace to then be generous with what you've got. And those two things, putting God first in your finances and being generous should kind of mark the way that we handle money um, and all that we have. But then moving on to these three things of stewardship. First of all, be intentional with your money. Be intentional with the money that you get, whether it's by an income or um, several incomes or something like that. Um, Be intentional, which might mean for some of us uh, actually writing a budget, actually setting a budget. Perhaps you get to the end of the month, and perhaps you you are earning a decent amount, but you get to the end of the month, and it never quite goes far enough where you think, I feel like I should have more. Be intentional with it. Start by writing a budget. The great thing about a budget is it tells your money where to go and what to do. Right? You begin to take control of your money. A part of actually um, money being a master is actually being out of control and not being able to handle it. And that's a problem. Second thing then, is don't miss the point of the money like the Pharisees did. Don't look to secure for yourself an earthly dwelling, but a heavenly dwelling. And as I mentioned, if some of you can't see beyond your circumstances now, then you do need to speak to somebody that can help. Um, You do need to approach somebody Um, and seek them out but this is bigger than what you have or have not got you see money is a massive it's an incredible tool for being able to bless people for being able to bless those in the church being able to bless those outside of the church um it's part of our witness right being able to bless it's not a symbol of how blessed you are it's not actually a status symbol that tells you how blessed or oh, hasn't God shown you incredible favor and grace. That might be true. That might be true. If you are diligent and intentional with your money, that may well be true. Because if you're faithful in a little, God will give you more. You'll be faithful and much. We see that in another parable. I haven't got time to go into it today. Um, but actually, um, it's not a symbol... Uh, of being blessed, it's, a sim- it's actually a tool for blessing. It's a vehicle with which you can use to bless other people. You see, by um, investing, by resourcing, by funding, by giving, by generosity, by all of these things that we just sow into things, we are actually shaping culture. We're shaping lives. We're shaping businesses. We're shaping the kingdom As we give of our time, as we give of our resources, as we give of our money, as we fund different things, we begin to shape little by little. And many of us, some of us in the room, are already beginning to do that. By the way we use our resources, by what we choose to put our money into, we're actually shaping um, culture. And we're bringing about transformation as we do that, because it's a witness. And if we believe verse 9, it's not just shaping culture, businesses, music, those sorts of things. It's actually shaping the eternal destiny of people's lives. If we believe verse 9, that by means of unrighteous wealth, there will be people that receive us into eternal dwellings, we're shaping people's eternal destiny. That's incredible. And then finally, set some goals for your money. We don't like that one, do we? Because <laughs> we don't like talking about money. You set goals in other things. You set goals in the workplace. You probably have targets that you have to meet every week. Set some goals for your money. Set some goals for your giving. Set some goals for what, for what you feel God's called you to and what you want to be investing with now. And we hold these things lightly, Absolutely. Because very easily they can get out of kilter if we're not humble, if we don't come to the Lord first, if we don't give those things over to him. Tanika and I chat about it. We have, we have goals for our finances. We have some pretty outrageous goals, if you come and ask us. have got some ridiculous goals. But because we believe that actually as we're faithful with a little, and as we... Invest with a little. And we may never get to those goals. Don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not that we do the little now so that we can in the future. No, we're securing up an eternal dwelling. But actually, if we set goals in other areas, if we set goals in faith, then actually we want to be believing God that we can use money in a way as a vehicle that blesses beyond just our family, beyond Revelation Church, beyond our community, beyond our friends, that we can begin to shape and influence beyond just where we currently are. And then finally, verse 13, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one, uh, sorry, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. See, the first step is to come and submit yourself to the Lord, which is why it's always, always, always God first. Everything else flows out of that. God first. When money becomes an idol, it becomes an an idol is something that you place your confidence in beyond God. When that happens, money becomes a master, and money money is a cruel, cruel master. Many, many, many people in the room will know money is brutal. If if if, if, if it if it if it masters you, then it's horrible. It can master you in two ways. You can either have you, you can either get too much, and so you, so you become greedy. You want more, that desire for more, that need for more, that increased security, that increased um, amassing of stuff too much. Or it can become too little. And actually, you're just buried by the circumstances. You're buried by life and you can't see beyond um, today. Again, if that is you, then please do seek out Kat. Um, We'd love to walk that journey with you. And so for some today, that that might be the first step. That might be the first step as we look at this past parable. That might be your first step to come and say, Jesus, I'm I'm coming to surrender all to you. I believe that that record of debt has been cancelled by your blood on the cross. And I want to come and submit myself to your plan and purpose for my life. For others of us, it's quite reflective. And perhaps we need to think about, well, how do I steward my finances? How do I steward my resources? How do I steward what God has entrusted to me? How do I do that and make that effective for the kingdom? How do I use it in a way that is, that is an example, that is a witness, that is a testimony to who God is and what he's done in my heart? So why don't you stand uh, I'm going to ask the band to come back up. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we, we just want to honor you in this place. Lord, we ask that you would be uh, Lord. We ask that even uh, as we reflect on some of those, uh, on some of the challenging, difficult um, challenges from the passage, Lord, we just pray that you would give us soft hearts, um, Lord, soft hearts to hear your voice um, and, and humility of heart um, to pursue you in it all. Uh, Lord God, we, we want to honor you uh, with the way that we uh, steward all that you've given us. Lord, we don't want to be naive. That means being more intentional. Lord, help us with that. Give us running partners. Give us um, gospel communities. Give us friends that can support us and equip us in that. Uh, Lord God, if it's, if it's not missing the point, Lord, if it's having that bigger perspective, if it's having that bigger picture of what you're doing, using money as a vehicle for blessing, Lord God, help us. Dig us out of, uh, of that rut, Lord. Deal with the, the pride in our own hearts deal with that sense of self-preservation, Lord God, that we would cast ourselves completely on you. Lord, not looking to store up for our own means, but looking looking to secure an eternal inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. Lord, that's where we fix our eyes. That's where we keep our eyes. Lord, would you help us this morning? We're going to gather back together to sing. Please feel free To use the space down at the front, Um, I'm going to hand over to Steph.